Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 21. Here at St. Andrews, we uh, go consecutively through books of uh, the Bible, and we have been in the book of Acts for some time now, calling this the Empowered Church. And the focus is that in that book, we have a record of not just the Acts of the Apostles, not just the planting of a church, but you have the active acts of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And we have seen His great power in terms of the church and um, how God has has used uh, weak and sinful men to plant His church. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you were called upon to show courage? When did you have to muster up some courage to face something? See, we're about to see this with the Apostle Paul. And it caused me to think about that for myself. You know, we probably are unique in this part of the world as I was thinking about that this week. I thought of a ministry visit that I made to a person in another country. I was staying in his home. And as we were leaving that morning and getting into his car, he said, you know, when I leave the house every day, I say goodbye to my wife and my children as if I will never see them again because I don't really know whether I will come home at the end of this day. And I said, okay, well, let's hurry to your car, lock the doors, you know, as we get in. But that's every day for him. And how, how different is my life here, and yet we are called upon for a courageous obedience. What's the source, though? Where does that come from? That's what I want us to focus on here in this passage today, and and I will just tell you that it's a little bit of a travelogue. Don't worry about, you know, all the names of the places or knowing exactly where they are, Uh, and especially if you haven't been here up until now, it's uh, some of those things are hard to follow, but but try to follow uh, the account of what's going on. We begin in Acts 21, and when we had parted from them, now just a reminder, uh, that is uh, Paul who had said goodbye 
to the people in Ephesus and the Ephesians elders, uh, parted from them and set sail. We came by a straight course to Kaz and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And uh, having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the, the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, that's the, that's the storyline that I want you to follow. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed, came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands... Now think about that. It's hard to picture. <laughs> I mean, how do you, you take someone's belt and then you bind your own feet and hands? Okay, that's, the, that's what's going on. And said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. There it is again. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went, went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, again we come to you even as we have sought to worship you in spirit and truth in these last few moments, will you enable us to do so in these next few? In spirit, as your spirit teaches us and opens our minds and our hearts to you, and in truth, because your word is truth, that, that wasn't just a story. That was what happened. And so, Lord, will you teach us why you saw fit to preserve it for us today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, let me, let me start you with the dilemma because there are those that would take this passage and say, aha, we found it. We found the contradiction in the Bible. This is it. Here you have the Holy Spirit contradicting himself in one brief passage. And some have taken a great deal of time and trouble to develop that and to try to to prove the point. Here's here's the the contradiction that uh, those who believe is there think is there, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit was on the one hand telling Paul you need to go to Jerusalem, and on the other hand, telling his disciples, don't let him go to Jerusalem. Now, if if that were true, you would have a contradiction. Now, I, some years ago, worked through this and studied through this uh, when I was teaching in in the book of Acts. I had to do it again, had to do it all again and figure out, okay, well, what's, what, you know, what is the deal here? Because at at first glance, it really does look like that. And let me tell you, and and this, if if you don't even understand the contradiction yet, maybe in a a moment, it will become more, more clear. You know, here you have the Apostle Paul just determined to go because he's convinced that's where God wants him to go, and you have disciples and Agabus and others seemingly saying, the Spirit's telling us to tell you not to go. So as, as I work through this, I want to tell you, I want to admit right up front, I am making a, a presupposition. Here's my supposition up front. I am looking at this from a believing perspective, I have become convinced early in, before I went into the ministry, became convinced that the Bible is the Word of God and that it is infallible and inspired and therefore authoritative. So I'm coming from that perspective, uh, not of saying, well, here we have a contradiction. I guess it's just, you know, the Bible just, you know, they messed up here. It's, I guess it is fallible and so on. I'm coming from the perspective of saying, well, I'm, I'm convinced the Bible's infallible, but so how do these two fit together so that this apparent contradiction is not a true contradiction, but an apparent one. Now, I can't explain every issue in the Scripture. I I will tell you that even from a perspective of faith. But we will deal with them, and we will do so honestly. This one, as you dig deeper, I think becomes clear that this is only an apparent contradiction and not a true contradiction. And so I'm, I'm going to go with 
John R. W. Stott, who went with John Calvin before him, and I feel like I'm in pretty good company with those two, who point out, I'm convinced properly so, that there is a distinction between a prohibition and a warning. In other words, what the disciples were doing, what Agabus was doing, was not saying that the Holy Spirit is telling us, you may not go, you must not go. What they were saying was, look, here's, here's your warning. You need to know, if you go, this is what's going to happen to you. It's going to be trouble if you go. So it's a warning of what will happen as opposed to them saying the Holy Spirit has told us you may not go. Now, what they did after they were in, you know, inspired to give this warning of what actually is going to take place is they looked at one another and said, well, we can't afford to lose Paul. we got to tell him not to go. And so from a human perspective... They were making that deduction in terms of saying, so Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, let's take a look at what Paul understood here uh, in terms of the warnings of what would happen. Verse, uh, back in chapter 20, verse 23, he says, I don't know, or verse 22 says, I don't know what's going to take place. Uh, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he knew from uh, the Holy Spirit that he was going to have imprisonment and affliction. Verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 4, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So they were deducing, he's going to have trouble there. Let's tell them, don't go. And then chapter 21, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming to us. Uh, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. See, here's the warning. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So others understood what was going to take place. Paul understood it too. Um, he knew what was coming. Look at uh, chapter 20, verse 24. Here's his response. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. See, he's, he's basically he said, look, I get it. Yeah, uh, going there may cost me my life. But my life's of no account if you're weighing that over and against doing what God wants me to do. Chapter 20, verse 38. He had said goodbye to them, um, these Ephesian elders. It says, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. He told them, you know, you'll not see my face again. They accompanied him to the ship. So what you get here, I get at least, uh, is a, a sense 
that Paul understood his, his days were numbered. He understood his demise was coming at some point. And then chapter 21, the last part of 13, Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for? I'm, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So why'd they give up? Well, I, I'm also convinced that if, if they were convinced that God was telling them prohibit him from going. They wouldn't have given up. But this was just their own opinion. It was just a, a, a warning to him. They understood that Paul understood and was prepared for the worst case scenario. You know, they basically were saying, okay, well, you know, we've done all we can. Paul is doggedly going to, to obey the Holy Spirit. We don't want to lose him, but we've warned him, but he gets it. And so they withdrew. They said, okay, then go. Now we see Paul's courage in this. His willingness to walk into this, he knew from God's Holy Spirit. He knew that he would be beaten, he'd be put in chains. He knew that he would eventually be killed. He knew it. And he said, that's where i got to go because God's Spirit has told me. Where did his courage come from? Now, earlier I, I said, uh, you know, when was the last time you had to conjure up some courage and and so on. Well, what about us? Where, you know, when you, hopefully you, you did think of some time when you had to have some courage, where did it come from? Did you conjure it up? Did, you know, did it come from within because you're such a strong person? Where did it come from? Well, let's look at where Paul's courage came from. And I hope that you will find this, this helpful for when you do have to have courage sometime soon. Maybe you're in the middle of a time where you need courage. And it, it can be taking a stand at work for that which is right or in school or in your neighborhood. It can be standing up for the faith but courage is also needed just facing this life. It can take courage going to your doctor to hear that diagnosis and then saying, okay, how am I going to handle this now? What am I going to do with that information when he says you have this long to live or this is what your life will look like in the next few months? And it takes courage to face our own mortality. Where did it come from with Paul? I'm going to give you three, 
Three things we see here. First of all, is following God rather than men. Verse 22 of chapter 20. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. God said, go. Men said, if you go, it won't be pleasant. He was convinced that he had to follow God's direction. Now, I want to give you a big, a big old caution here. Because we've talked about how, you know, the disciples and Agabus the prophet and others were saying, don't go. Now, if you came to me and you asked me for some advice about something, how do I know God's will? One of the things that I would say to you is, what are your godly counselors saying to you? Okay? Because that's, that's one way. That's one way that, that God shows his will to us. But here, if we're just looking at Paul's example, it, it almost looks like here he's getting all this Godly advice from those, you know, from a prophet and the disciples, those he ought to be able to trust. And then he's saying, he's ignoring it. That's what it looks like. Two things we need to see where, you know, first of all, he's Paul and I'm not. He's Paul the apostle and you're not. So, there is a, a confidence in hearing directly from God when you are an apostle or a prophet who, by the way, no longer exists because they were the foundation of the church. But if you were a prophet or a, an apostle, God spoke directly to you. And so, yeah, you, you, you better ignore those around you. But we're not in that position because we have the completed Word of God. But the second thing is, I've been saying, you know, here it looks like Paul ignored all these counselors. He didn't ignore them. He didn't take their counsel. But he didn't ignore them. He thought about it. He understood what they were saying. He understood that out of a love for him and a need for him, that they didn't want him to go and get killed. So he took it into account before he made his decision. Now, let me make a clarification about Paul's courage. We might see that he was doing something as extraordinary, but in reality... Paul wasn't doing anything different at this point than he was throughout the whole rest of his ministry. To him, it wasn't even a matter of courage. He wasn't even saying, well, I've got to muster up my courage and, and you know, go to Jerusalem anyway. It's going to be bad, but I've got to go in. You know, why? Why wasn't that extraordinary? Because to him, it was just obedience. Once Christ had come in to his heart and turned him around from a murderer and a terrorist 
to one that God would use to build his church, Paul said, I'm compelled. I, I, it's not even a, a, a decision here. I will obey. He didn't even look at it as courageous obedience. He just said, the Holy Spirit wants me to go, and so I'm going. I'm sure he said, thanks, guys, for your care for me, your concern. But I'm compelled by the Spirit. And that's why he went. So the first thing is following God rather than men. The second thing in terms of the source of Paul's courage is being more concerned about the honor of Christ than his own comfort. Look at verse 13. Paul answered um, in chapter 21, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What if someone came to you and said, You're probably going to be imprisoned. Put in prison. What if they then threatened you with death? What kinds of thoughts? I mean, that, that's hard to even picture, but what kinds of thoughts can you imagine would go through your mind? One of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, was being interrogated. He was arrested by the Roman Empire, emperor rather, and he, he wanted, uh, Chrysostom was a, a Greek Christian leader, and he wanted to break him down. He wanted him to recant, to say, okay, I don't believe any, any longer. But they couldn't make him. They couldn't seem to break him down. So the emperor discussed with uh, his advisors, okay, well, uh, should I put him in the dungeon? The advisors said, no, he'll be glad to go. He longs for quietness where he can delight in the mercies of God. Well, then he shall be executed, the emperor said. No, for he'll be glad to die. He declares that in that event he'll be in the presence of his Lord. What shall we do then? The counselor said, there's only one thing that will give Chrysostom pain. To cause Chrysostom to suffer, make him sin. He's afraid of nothing except sin. You see, that's, that's being more concerned about the honor of Christ than our own physical comfort. And when one gets to that point, that's where courage comes from. There's a third aspect of the source of his courage, and that is being convinced that this life is not all there is. I read this earlier. Chapter 20, verse 24. 
I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I read this week about a story of a, a rabbi, Joseph Schneerson. He was a Hasidic leader during the early days of uh, Russian communism. And the rabbi ended up, up spending a, a great deal of time in, in jail, persecuted for his faith, for his uh, Judaism. Back in 1927, at one point, he went into the synagogue to pray. Secret police rushed in. They arrested him. They took him to the police station. They beat him up, and they demanded that he recant, that he give up all of his religious activities. And this is what the interrogator said. He put a gun in his face, and he said, this little toy has made many a man change his mind. The rabbi's answer was this. This little toy can intimidate only that kind of man who has many gods and one world. Because I have only one God and two worlds. I'm not impressed by that little toy. Two worlds. You know, here is one that is in Judaism. How much more did the Apostle Paul understand the two worlds? Finally, home. Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, for which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Here, here's what he's saying. For to me, to live is Jesus Christ. And to die is so much better. When we get to that point... Courage comes out because the sting of death is gone. That which should cause fear that would steal your courage is not there any longer when we become convinced that this life is not all there is. So I want to leave you with three questions. The first one, where is God calling you to stand for him? If you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, where is he calling you to stand for him? And another way to ask that is where, where do I need courage? I don't want you to think because of the couple of illustrations I gave you today that that every time you need courage, it's going to be a life or death situation. You know what? It probably won't be for you. Probably for most in this room, maybe, maybe won't be for any of us in this room. We may not be called on to recant at the threat of death. 
but it's a daily call. It's not about heroic acts. It's about courageous, obedient living day in and day out. Secondly, what has been my source of courage in the past? When you have needed courage, where did it come from? Because here's my caution. If you're depending upon your own greatness, if you're depending upon conjuring it up yourself, then it's not going to last. And when it really comes down to the test, you're going to fail. You will fail. Because our own greatness can only take us so far. And then for you who are believers, here's the third question is, have I tapped into Paul's source? One thing in, in working through this sermon, one thing I figured out is I'm not naturally courageous. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just, I don't think I am. But what, what encouraged me is the Apostle Paul wasn't naturally courageous either. In fact, if you look at his life before Christ, it, he was cowardly. That was, that was his nature. That was his default button. So what changed? Well, even in the realm of courage, he recognized if I'm to have any courage, it's got to come from outside of myself. 2 Corinthians 12, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. His source, absolutely, his source of courage was from outside of himself and then from inside of himself and that was Christ in him. It was not natural, it was supernatural. And his perspectives were not just a different way of thinking, but they were a belief that God's Spirit had put into his heart so that he didn't have to make those decisions every time there was a temptation. He had made them in Christ. That's where courage comes from, from Christ in us. Let's bow together. Lord, as we think of it, we, we, we would probably rather not even be in a situation where courage is demanded. It's not comfortable. It's easier not to be in that. But Lord, will you protect us from seeking that easy way around the easy path in this journey. Will you enable us, Lord, to seek Christ in us, 
our only hope, our only source for ultimate courage and radical obedience. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.